Welcome to the Bergman Brothers broadcast, which is actually a podcast. And uh, let's call it the Triple B. It kind of sounds like Guy Fieri when you say that. Uh, <laughs> I am the younger, more handsome brother. I go by the name Lawrence, like Olivier. Says you. Says me, is correct. And the other gentleman on the line, what is your name, sir? It's Jeff Bergman. Uh, well, legally, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Allen Bergman, but I go by the... I go by the really cool sounding Jeff Bergman. Very clever. Uh, we're actual real brothers. We don't just play them on this podcast. And uh, we, you know, we grew up loving classic films. So in turn, we love uh, Turner classic movies. Uh, we literally text and email and talk on the phone about what's playing on Turner classic movies all the time. So we're both kind of obsessed with it. Uh, for me, the app is probably the most important app on my phone. Even more important than my Fitbit, uh, I look at it all the time <laughs> to see what's going on on Turner Classic Films. And it's, a, it's a pretty cool app. I mean, it, it seems like there's every movie that was ever made when you first get on it. it it's it's like it's intense. Yeah, I think what I like about the app too is that you know you get all the films that are streaming all month long, um, and then you get like a full synopsis of the movie, and then you get like behind the scenes articles about the movie as well, too, uh, which it's fun because you'll read about someone that was battling her- horrific alcoholism while making that movie. So <laughs> it's just great to read up on that stuff. So it's like you get the story of the film and then you get what happened behind the scenes. They even have some cool like press and photo shots, which are nice, too. So I really I love the app. You can just purchase that. What is it like? Ninety nine cents. I don't even know. A dollar ninety nine. It's like ridiculous. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cheap. And yeah, I like the, uh, I always like seeing the lobby cards of the films, you know, and sometimes they have, yeah, that, they're awesome. Know. It's kind of cool. Yeah, the artwork is really neat on some of these things. Uh, one of the best parts of the app, and is, I think is really cool for like a nerd like me, and I think you like it too, uh, is that you can kind of split how you look at the movies up by genre. So when I click on what's on demand on the app, and then it mm-hmm. lists them by genre, you know, so you have comedy, drama, musicals, you know, suspense. Uh, and so that was kind of the one of the things that we talked about doing tonight was kind of picking like three of our favorite genres and then our kind of our three favorite genre films from that genre. So mm-hmm. I'm ready if you are, but I want to throw a new wrinkle into this. OK, if you don't mind. You did not tell exactly. Me I didn't tell you anything. This is how the, it's totally. This is how unplanned. we roll. This is how brothers roll. I want us each to take at least one guess on what we think the film is. Does that I mean after we we did we we reveal yes, the genre? exactly. So if you say your genre, okay. I'm going to take a stab uh, at which one okay. that you may have picked for this. So since you're the uh, older brother, the much older brother, why don't you go first? <laughs> you tell me your genre, and then I'm going to try to guess the film. Well, for a genre, I picked a political thriller. Uh, I picked the thriller as the genre. <sighs> I know you pretty well. I've known you a long time, my whole life, practically. Uh, I'm going to say that it's all the president's men, and I'm going to say that with conviction. You would be correct. <laughs> there you go. There you go. A, a great film. 
and, and would probably make my top 20 favorites, but go ahead. Why do you, why are you picking this for your political thriller genre? Well, you know, I didn't really know this until just very recently, like about 11 minutes ago when I Wikipedia all the president's men <laughs> <laughs> and, and discovered that the cinematographer for this film is Gordon Willis. And Gordon Willis did the cinematography for Annie Hall, Manhattan, Woody Allen's films, and of course the Godfather uh, series. You know, Godfather. So he worked on a couple of B films. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, only like the most, you know, like classic, amazing films in in our history. And wouldn't you know, like when I saw the Godfather, I you know always look at that film and think, man, the color is. It's amazing. I mean, everything, you know, when they when they show the the period of the 1940s and there's that amazing looking yellow cab and just the way that costumes are. No, the detail are, in that you know, film but, is tremendous. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's an unbelievable and, and as good as anything, um, you know, that, that they make today or at, from any period of time. But anyhow, um, I picked I picked this, this genre because, you know, it's kind of interesting – I don't know, you know, growing up in like part of the 60s that I remember in the 70s, so much was about, you know, spies and espionage and and political thrillers. And when you think about it, you know, this this for me, this movie has. This has everything. I mean, I love the the imagery of light and dark and that so much of the film is shot at night when they're trying to uncover the story and trying to figure out what, who knew what, and to get interviews with people at night, they're skulking around in neighborhoods, uh, Woodward and Bernstein. And that's when they did most, a lot of their detective work. But then you go back to the newsroom, which is very bright, very lit, very well. And there's that imagery of light and dark, which is, you know, the truth is coming out under the light, under the bright lights of the newsroom. And eventually the film does get a little Mm -hmm. bit lighter as you get towards the end of it. And that's when they're discovering, you know, the truth. So um, and I think, you know, the cast is wow. It's amazing. Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman do an amazing job as Woodward and Bernstein. And you have Martin Balsam and and Jack Warden. And and of course, Hal Holbrook plays one of my favorite characters, you know, of all time. I don't even know. If there's, I guess you could say he was an informant, but I don't even know if that's a, if that's a, if that's a category. An informant, you know, there's the villain, there's the protagonist, the antagonist, but is the informant a, a character? But he's amazing in that, you know. Uh, and then, of course, you know, probably my favorite person in the whole film is is Jason Robards. I mean, he he just like I I thought that was Ben Bradley, like that he had to. Be oh yeah, there. he totally just got into that role, and I think one of the reasons why this movie works so well is because of what you said the genre is it plays like a thriller uh you know somebody saw that aspect in it the writers the director and they play it like a thriller and it's like you're on the edge of your seat watching this thing you really are it doesn't even matter if it's real or not and the scary part is is it was real it was real and like and what's really hilarious is like we we freaking know the outcome you know you know what's going to happen when you watch this if you know about Watergate and anything about that time period, you, you know how it's going to turn out, but you want to just see like, how did it happen? Like, how did they, 
how did they find you know how did they get these guys how did they get everybody so it, it's you know for me like this has uh, it's directed really well every scene is just is amazing and um the music is actually really mm-hmm. cool too you know it's very very period-esque and it it kind of reminds me of some of the 1970 films that I really like, like Three Days of the Condor, another film with Robert Redford, which I which I I love that film, but not as much as this one. I think this is just really from the beginning to the end, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's it's a solid pick. It's a great film. Uh, it still uh, is very watchable. Uh, it really is. It's not really all that dated, you know. Even when you're looking in the newsroom and you're seeing all the typewriters as opposed to computers and laptops that you'd see today, it doesn't really seem to matter, you know. It's just you're following the trail of the yeah. story, just like they're doing today. Uh, and the budget for this film was like a million and a half bucks. Incredible. That's it. <laughs> incredible. It was like that. Was, yeah. So 1976, you know, it was released in uh, spring of 76. So that that's my uh, that's my pick good solid pick for political thrill. Uh, yeah. All right, I'm going to go my genre pick. My first one, I'm going to go with a western. And uh, you're more than welcome to take a shot. Let's see how well you know your brother. Um. Hmm. Well, I would either. My yeah. first thought would be Outlaw Josie Wales, or maybe The Unforgiven. You, you need to. You need to pick one. Just come on. Let's do it. Um, it's, I'll say out, I'll say Outlaw Josie Wales. That's maybe. a great guess, but you'd be incorrect. Um, okay. From 1973, I'm going to go with High Plains Drifter. Now, I'll give you some points oh, because it's Clint Eastwood. Wow, you, you really surprised me. I actually, I don't, I wouldn't have gotten that if I had gotten 20 more guesses. It is the <laughs> second film that Clint Eastwood directed after Play Misty for Me, and uh, you know what I really like about this western is. It is, without a doubt, the creepiest Western ever made. Uh, he took kind of the influences that he had from Sergio Leone and from Don Siegel, and he just concocted this crazy story. And yes, it's a Western, but it's, it's almost a ghost story. You know, he plays the stranger with no name, goes into this town, you know, supposedly to rescue the town. These outlaws are going to be released from prison. They're going to come in and kill everybody. And he's there to teach the town how to protect itself. Um, it, it took him a long time to memorize all his lines. <laughs> yeah, too. yeah, exactly. Grunt, groan. Uh, yeah, his, his said, I got a great, got a great script here for you, Clint. <laughs> you got eleven lines. Uh, his character is, is is really a kind of a reprehensible guy. I mean, he's in town a few minutes and he kills three people and then rapes a woman. Like that's. This is really a very different type of Western. In fact, I, I know from reading about this film, John Wayne actually sent Clint Eastwood a letter saying this is not the type of Western that the American people want to see, that John Wayne was so offended right. by it. I believe that. I, and that's totally, that's totally the John Wayne, right? He totally yeah, and it's that. funny. Both guys staunch conservatives, but I think Clint looked at things a little bit differently he got an ass whipping from he, the Duke. <laughs> he did, but it didn't, you know, it didn't stop the film from being successful. And I think being one of the really coolest films he's ever directed, uh, because it is, if you really watch the movie and you can watch it many times over, it is a ghost story. There's a supernatural element to it. I mean, at one point, you know, they paint the entire town red and he renames it hell. 
to really scare off these guys that are coming into town. But and I didn't get it right away, but I realized that uh, the character that he's playing might very well be the ghost of the former marshal who's killed in town and the townspeople watch and he's come back. And that's one of the more interesting aspects of that film is that he doesn't really, he may not really exist. That's why he's the stranger with no name. And at the end, when somebody says to him, you know, who are you? And he goes, you know who I am. And it's a very powerful film. It's unlike, I think any Western, you know, you'll ever really see, and, you know, even when he got to Outlaw Josie Wales, you know, it became a little more traditional. You know, it was a revenge Western. There's no doubt about it. But High Plains Drifter is just a fantastic film. It's my favorite Western of all time. And that's my pick. Wow. I, I never knew this about you. This is uh, pretty well, good. Well, I'm keeping you on your toes. I, I don't want to be so predictable. Uh, you know, I, I... Now, was this was the music of this film? Is this, uh, is this, (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's, you're a voice actor and that may be the worst thing you've ever done. Um, no, it's not the, it's, it's not really that. No, I think you're thinking of all the, uh, spaghetti Westerns and, and the good, the bad, the ugly and those themes, but Uh, yeah, but certainly, you know, he took major influence from those films. Um, but yeah, there's, it's a sinister soundtrack too. Very much so. So that's my pick. Uh, let's go to your next genre pick. Action adventure. Oh, man. And you can guess if you want to, but I, I'm going to give you props if you get this one, but I, I, I don't think you will. But if you do, I'll be, I'll be uber impressed. Action adventure. I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to say it's a James Bond film, but I can't figure out which one. I'm going to say Goldfinger. I'll just throw that out there. Well, I'm going to say that's an awesome guess, mm. but I would, I would say yeah. no. Uh, no, no, no. Um, you want one more guess? No, no, I, I said one guess. Give it up? That's it. I blew it. All right. Well, you know, th- this is kind of a tough choice for me, but, it's, it's, I, but I guess it's maybe my favorite of the action adventure genre, like of all time, it's Indiana Jones and the last crusade. I love Raiders of the lost Ark, And I know people that love the Raiders series that that is always everybody's go-to. It's their favorite one, but I don't know. There's something about, you know, the third one, you know, temple of doom was the middle one and, you know, and that had its moments, but I, that wasn't my favorite. Raiders is amazing, but Indiana Jones, and the last crusade, I just love the the fact that, you know, they brought Indiana Jones's father and of course played by none other than Sean Connery who was James Bond for Goldfinger, so 6 degrees there. But uh it's there's a lot of comedy in that and and there's a little bit of comedy for sure in the first one, but it's just it got so outrageous. Indiana Jones and Last Crusade and you know that there's more there's more Nazis in it, which that's you know, always fun, and they that's get it, fun. and that's uh, yeah, and they get it, which is great. Um, and I just, I just kind of think that by the time they got to the third one, they really, they just really got it right. You know, it still had that very 
serial quality to it, the old serials in the 40s. And I think he might have been, been – Harrison Ford was maybe a little more comfortable, you know, in that role at that point. Um, and, you know, you just get – the cast is – is amazing in it. Um, and now, I haven't seen it in a, in a while, frankly. I got, I got to admit that. And I remember, you know, the last time I saw it, I thought it was fun. I, you know, I had a little bit of a hard time with them being father and son. They're probably like, you know, 20 minutes old, you know, older than each other. They're 12, they're like 13 Okay, so apart, it was close, like but, uh, but, yeah. they, but the movie was fun enough and they seemed to be having a good <laughs> enough time that I, I was okay with it. I remember it being far yeah. better than what was Temple of the Doom. Was that the second one? That was just yeah, Temple of the Doom was the middle one. Yeah, and but the, well, you know another thing that was really cool in this film it opens and River Phoenix plays Indiana Jones as oh, a child. Right. So so you know we kind of get like and you know we both love origins origin stories. So you kind of get Indy's origins. You see what he was like as a kid, and then he had to learn the Greek alphabet when he came into you know. Uh, his father's study, he would have to, to, you know, to, to read the Greek alphabet. Um, and so, you know, you kind of get a little of that backstory. And then one of my favorite scenes in the early part of the film is he finds, you know, he finds this amazing, you know, gold cross and he actually gets away with it and he's going to, you know, try to get it to a museum and, you know, the, the criminals catch up with him and they get it. And, you know, the guy goes, nice try, kid, you know, and he puts the hat on his head. He gives him his hat and that becomes the Indiana Jones hat. And mm. there there begins the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, you know, it goes into a scene in, in the present day with Indiana Jones, you know. Um, so it's just like it's so cool. You know, I think it it really. It, and again, you know, you have um, um, John Rice Davies. Who's great in it? And- no, Spielberg directed <laughs> this one too. Um, uh, it was yes, Steven Spielberg okay, directed. I could this. remember. Um, and the stories by George Lucas and yeah, okay, uh, so- and I'm looking here and Menno Mahes. I'm not sure how you pronounce that name, but but yeah, Harrison Ford, uh, Denham Elliott is in it, and he's no, he's just, good. Yeah. He's really he's good. He's very funny. So that's my pick for. Well, that's your uh, favorite action adventure of all time. How about that? Uh, I could see that. I could see that anytime, any scene. I would have lost big money in Vegas on that pick. Um, wow, you really, you really threw yep. me on that one. We, you know, mm-hmm. I will go back and watch it. I got to admit, like I said, I haven't seen it in years. You know, I remember it being fun, but you know, you've been pretty consistent. I remember you mentioning this that film, you know, quite a few times to me over the years. So, you know, I'll give you that. Uh, I'm going to move on to horror science fiction. Yeah, that's you know that's that's kind of how they do it on the TCM app when they split up the genres. You know, they do horror slash science fiction. I guess they have to exist together. Uh, so this was a tough pick for me because I'm a huge horror fan and sci-fi too. Uh, but I definitely have one that I picked. Do you want to take a guess? The black, the black. Yeah, that's, that's the one. Good guess. You know, I love that film uh, <laughs> from 1934. Uh, it. Of course. <laughs> of it course. has the brilliant teaming of two horror legends, Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi. Uh, by the way, Bela Lugosi, there, should, there really should be, you know, uh, there should be like, you know, just you should be able to read what he's saying on the screen, you know, just because you can't understand anything. There should be subtitles every time he speaks. 
Um, but <laughs> but nonetheless, it's a really um, interesting film. At the time, the movie was kind of a financial failure. You know, uh, the horror genre was killing it between Frankenstein and Dracula and the mummy. Universal was just raking in the money. Uh, and then they put together this concoction, which just threw everybody. But what I really like about this film is that it is so depraved and sick and disturbing. Um, it's a movie about Satanism and necrophilia and genocide. Um, and those are just some of the fun parts. Uh, <laughs> Boris Karloff, by the way, in the movie, his lisp is so pronounced, and yet that makes him all the more evil. Uh, when he says, for instance, and I'm going to do my impression, please don't fault me here. I know you're the voice guy. Uh, uh, when, he, when he says the name <laughs> of uh, Lugosi's character, and it's Vitith Vertigast. And he says it with the lisp like that. <laughs> and he's just, but it's so sinister. And when the two guys sit down and play the game of chess for a girl's life, it's incredible. Like that moment alone, just the two of them sitting there playing a game for someone's life. It's, it's just awesome. And then you have the iconic scene where Karloff is playing the organ and he's playing box staccato and fugue in D, in D minor and his back is toward the camera. And then when you hear him play that, it's just like, it's horror movie Nirvana. It, it, it really is. And if you, if you've never seen the film, you have to see it. The sets are art deco and very weird and architectural. You know, there's nothing like old horror movie castle about it. It's just, so cool to look at and it's like literally probably about 62 minutes um but it feels like an epic film and just all the even the ending by the way and, and the ending is maybe one of the most disturbing endings ever in a film and i'm gonna ruin it uh is lugosi has captured karloff and he skins him alive and that you never really see it, but you just see the shadow of it. But he tells him what he's going to do to him. Uh, and it truly is one of the most disturbing images ever. You know, like, I, I have to say, like, I can, I can watch horror movies if, like, if I'm with you. But, like, I'd rather watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang 400 times than, than, than like, watch. Like, it's so not my genre. Because you're, you know? you're a coward. But, yeah. Because you're just a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess i get like if i have food and i'm with you and i'm eating but like horror films don't make me like feel like i want to eat like i don't really want to eat if i'm watching somebody getting hacked you know like like i don't mind Scatman crothers getting an axe to the gut in the shining you know like that to me is like kind of funny well yeah of course because he, he it's like two hours of him trying to get to the hotel <laughs> and the minute he walks in he just gets an axe into his heart it was just <laughs> like the most ridiculous waste of time ever. He should have just let the kid die, you know. <laughs> um, now, did mom did mom drag you to that with me? I remember being there with mom. Were you there? Yes, too? yes, yes. It was it was it was horrendous. You know, I mean, a big screen. Oh my god! So I was, was... probably. I was probably 11 when mom took me. That, that sounds like they should have gotten Department of Social Services to take me away from mom. <laughs> like, should I have seen The Shining at 11? I don't know. Uh, probably not. No, no, it's because, like, she loved that stuff. So, it, it, and dad, you no. know, like, he, he, like, I was more like dad in that sense. 
mom and I would literally watch uh, on Saturdays uh, locally in, in where we grew up in Philadelphia. They would have horror. Doctor Shock. Exactly. They would have horror, uh, horror theater at one <laughs> and Mad Theater at three, and we would watch those together. My my love of horror really came from mom. Uh, it's it's so really true. I remember her covering up the nudie parts in The Shining, you know, and I was trying to move well. her hand away to see what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, The Black Cat, uh, 1934. I just don't... I, but I think... yeah. Now, can I say one thing interesting about this film? There is like one kind of cool aspect about this film that I do like, is that if you look in the credits, who gets credit for this? You know, being in this film, like way in the credits, way down in the credits, is John. Cameron, yes. Well, the- who, in his own right, became you know a great actor and a horror you know actor, and of course, father of uh, Kung Fu David Carradine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, it was one great of his voice. early films. Uh, yeah, and he's like credited way yeah, down. Yeah, he has a small. He has a small role in it. Yeah, I think if you watch the film now, and kind of knowing. Oh, what's really happening? It, it's very interesting, but I think it—it's not so much. Uh, I mean, I guess it is horror, obviously, but I think it's very watchable for even people that don't like horror. It's so subversive. It, it's like, how did they even get that film past, you know, all the haze office and all the people that were censoring things? I, to this day, it shocks me that that film ever got made and released. And Universal had it in its vaults forever. I mean, once the thing was kind of a dud. They just locked it away in its vaults because it was not really anything they were going to make money off of. But definitely my favorite horror film of all time. So what's your wow. what's your next uh, genre pick? Um, well, it's very funny when you were trying to guess, you know, the action adventure, and you guessed Goldfinger. So my next, you know, genre, and I'm not really sure if this is, you know, for me, like I think this was like a different genre mm-hmm. but maybe i maybe i'm cheating uh but it, it's 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 goldfinger is that am i cheating i guess i'm yeah. cheating because it's kind of kind of it falls into that all right so that i have another genre okay <laughs> look at so, you trying okay, to so, find a way out trying to find another way uh, I, it, no i was ready for you to nail so me typical this. I, you, you would. try to reinvent the rule uh, uh, yeah well it was just the love of this okay so we won't mention it I, my other genre is uh it's comedy, but it's comedy western, and it's Blazing Saddles. I didn't realize there were more than one comedy western. <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a. Clearly, I missed. I missed out on some of these films over the years. I didn't know that comedy western. You. <laughs> the sheriff is thing. The sheriff is. <laughs> I think you should just go with comedy on this one. Let's just go with comedy. I mean, this movie is like, it's so insane. It, it's like, I, I there's so many comedies that like I, I want to pick. But like this, this, like the thing that cracks me up about the movie is not even the movie itself. It's the fact that when Mel Brooks talks about this, that nobody white wanted this made. They thought it was the most offensive, inappropriate thing. And black people, of course, didn't care. They thought it was funny. They, they were like fine with it, you know, but it was all the people that are white that are uptight about this. And the movie studio was like, no, this is terrible. And then there's a story that Peter Sellers saw this in his screening and said it was like the funniest thing he's ever seen. And that got around. And then I guess 
you know, they looked at it again and thought it was great. But Mel Brooks thought, you know, I'm never going to make any movie again. I'm going to, the essentials are going to destroy me and no one want to hire me. So we might as well make this insanely crazy. And it's just cool that he had, that he wrote it. Gene Wilder was part of it. And Richard Pryor wrote material for yeah. it. I mean, I mean that's like a dream team right there. I mean, you're talking it, three comedy geniuses from all different, all different errors, aspects. Uh, different, yeah, yeah, all different aspects, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and like there was nothing. I can't think of anything that was was like that. I mean, you know, there there you know, and you had Slim Pickens in it, and um, I mean, it just was so insane. And then you know, who do they have in this? In this is is the Duke Del- the um, Count Basie Orchestra yeah. is. He's just in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> I love Alex Karras. Is what is it? Mongo? Is that what is it? Mongo? Yeah. Mongo? Yeah, he Mongo. Great. He was great Fantastic. too. You know, and and just like and the and the the scene in the church where the the town hall the town gets together and everybody's everybody's last it's name Johnson. is Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just so many amazing things about this film, um, and there's a lot of lines, you know, from the film. I mean, you quote. You know, the, the rubber ducky line, you know, <laughs> Harvey Corman when he wants his rubber ducky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. It's so stupid, but I laugh every time. I, yeah, I really so, do. so I don't know. I did for me. This was like it, it was May 1968. No, 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 no. Oh, 74. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Stand corrected. Um. So I don't know, like that to me, that's like that. That's like one of the great comedies of all time, you know, and I'd have to put I got to say that's that's it's up there for me. I would have thought any hall for you. I'm, I'm a little surprised you kind of you, you're surprising me on this one. Well, you know, I think Annie Hall is it's amazing. I mean, every scene is like really cool, but I kind of put that in like a I don't know. That's that's almost like a rom com to me kind of feel like that falls into that mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. i think i think blazing saddles just is it's just down dirty comedy you know it's just it's nonsense the whole film is nonsense it's a courageous pick you know being an east coast jew you kind of have to go with woody allen and you, <laughs> you buck the trend i gotta be honest with you you really did you, you you buck the trend a little bit i mean i knew you were a huge mel brooks fan um, but I didn't even know that you revered Blazing Saddles to that to that level. I like the movie, and you know, there's nothing. I mean, you're right; it's insane. There's nothing like it. But be honest now: if you walk by the TV and any scene from that movie is on, you're going to stop and you're going to watch it for just at least ten seconds. You're going to watch it. It's it's yeah. I, I would. Dan no, it's funny. I showed it to uh, my uh, wife years ago. Your children. They, you showed it to your exactly, children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't get it. <laughs> My six-year-old didn't get it. <laughs> no, I showed it to my wife. I don't know. I'll say like 10 years ago. And she had never seen it. And and, and she's uh, 11 years younger than me. Um, I think she laughed more at Schindler's List than she laughed at Blazing <laughs> Like, she was like, this is funny. And I said, yeah, it's hilarious. Don't you get it? And, Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just—that's oh a red flag right there. But anyway, <laughs> I, so you know, obviously, it's not everybody's kind of cup of tea. But I mean, it's a great film. Yeah, I, totally. All right, all right. So, what's your next genre? Well, I'm gonna go comedy too. 
uh, definitely, you know, comedy is is a tough one Whoa. because there's a lot of, there's a lot of really funny movies and and I was looking I was looking at all these lists online like ooh you know what does everyone pick is like the greatest comedy of all time and I'm like yeah all right well I'm going to tell you what it's not I'm going to I'm going to tell you what it's not good it's not some like it high no and I mean that's a great movie it really is and I it's I right I, on the... I don't take anything away from that film yeah AFI if I puts that on their, you know, like number one, number two pick. But I, I just, I, I just can't. You know, I enjoy the movie, but it doesn't make me laugh out loud like this other film I've picked does. All right, I'll, 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 if I try to guess, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I don't, Caddyshack. Uh, listen, Caddyshack is pure, oh, not it. utter genius. You're going rogue on me now, sir. Caddyshack was my number two pick. When I really stacked up these two movies, mm. I, I Tootsie. It's Tootsie, right? It's Tootsie. <laughs> it's <not> Tootsie. <laughs> from nineteen, and I've I've gone old school for a lot of this list. From nineteen thirty-five, um, A Night at the Opera. Uh, for me, it's the Marx Brothers' greatest film. Wow, you are the Marx Brothers. Yeah, I did. You know, I realized. Woo-hoo! I had just seen it recently on TCM not that long ago. And uh, I just was like, this movie's amazing. So, you know, before then, I, I mean, you know me. I've, I've been a huge Marx Brothers fan my whole life. And I love Monkey Business and Horse Feathers and Duck Soup. And they're great films, but they don't feel like complete movies. They're just like hilarious scenes. This was a movie. And it, was, it has the MGM polish, but... It doesn't, you know, dwarf the Marx Brothers. It doesn't, like, take away everything you know, that's really funny about them. Do you know, like, at this point, I've seen the movie, you know, you know, umpteen times. And, like, yeah. I swear, my favorite scene in the film is when Grouch is in the balcony. And just out of nowhere, he goes, boogie boogie. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. I don't know why. I don't know what that means, why it's funny. But boogie boogie. <laughs> I, I love that. I love when he, um, I love when he's, um. You know when he's going on the ship for the first time, and then uh, you know Gottlieb is in the is in the bathroom rubbing on his beard, and he says to him, "You know, always beating around the bush, eh, Gottlieb? That's hilarious." <laughs> uh, I just I love that part of it. So it's just um, I mean, just the names Otis P. Driftwood, and then yeah. you've got the hilarious Italian names that they give. Uh, Harpo and Chico, Fiorello, Tommaso. Uh, it's like, where are they coming up with these names? Uh, it's just all the chaos is there, but it's focused. Kitty, Kitty Carlisle. That's right. Folks. That's right. That's right. And, and Alex Jones, <laughs> who I'm in love with you. But but I'll say this: he is oh far God. less annoying than Zeppo was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm Zappo, and of course, Groucho said he was the funniest of the Marx Brothers. Really? Yeah, that's the kiss of death right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure every time the camera was off, he was making you laugh. But hey, fellas, if he was the funniest, why doesn't anyone remember him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. It's like those movies, and, and part of the reason why those other films I think are hard to watch is because of him. They just, he's just so not funny and just doesn't belong in those movies at all. 
like he is just a complete and utter waste of time. <laughs> and I know that sounds terrible. And uh, But you know what's really interesting, too, about this film? One of my favorite parts is, if you remember the opera singer, Lesbari. So he's yep. the one that Harpo valet, you know, Harpo, it's, Harpo's his valet. And, you know, he, he, he like beats Harpo and he beats on him. Yeah. Yeah. He slaps him around. And it's like, there's like a level of sympathy that you get for that character that, you know, is, you know, it's almost like Chaplin esque you know, and I'll say, and, and in that sense, and I mean, Harpo always had that, you know, that you kind of really loved Harpo, but that moment you're like, whoa. And it, it, there's a darkness to it that, you know, wasn't always typical of of those films and yeah like, like you see that yeah you see that and you go is this not a marx brothers film anymore like what's going on here this is like uh, this is abuse <laughs> totally exactly but you but it feels weird but the i love how they i mean anytime you can make fun of high society it's always funny and they do a great job of you know making fun of high society and operas i mean i love the fact that when when groucho goes to the opera he wants to circle around so he doesn't have to see it <laughs> uh, you know, he's in the in the horse carriage. I mean, it's just so funny. But I think what really ultimately sells me is the relationship he has with Margaret Dumont in that movie is so hilarious. The exchanges that they have, <clears throat> excuse me, it is just so spot on. Every and, line and- is funny. Her reactions are absurd. It's just, it's just, incredible. and you know, and, and you know, it's funny. I didn't know this at the time when I first saw it, but you know, seeing interviews with Groucho, she never thought they were funny. The Marx Brothers. She didn't get it. She didn't think they were funny. That's that's so, the best part. That's why, it and works. that's the best part. Yeah, that's why it's so real. She just, she just never cracked a smile. Didn't get it. <laughs> and. Yeah, no, it, it's a, uh, it's just, I mean, and I love a day at the races, but even at that point, you know, the formula, the MGM started to take over. Uh, it, you know, it, there's some really funny parts in a day at the races, maybe some of the funniest stuff that they've ever done. But mm-hmm. a night at the opera just feels like a whole movie. Uh, the backstory doesn't offend me. It, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's the greatest comedy ever made. I, I really yeah, do. and I and and I do think there's a a point about the class system there. You really root for the Marx Brothers. You root for these guys. You know, they're they're criminals in a way, but you know, they're such snotty, you know, snobby. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, we 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 root for the, uh, you know, for the pedestrians. You know, and I think it's uh, that says a lot. And of course, you had you know, look, you had screenplay by. What do you call it, George's Kaufman? You know, and Maury Ruskin. So, like, you know, these are the greats. They, they, they knew how to write for the Marx Brothers. And like, I kind of wonder how many lines are improv. You know, we'll never really know that. No, we never really will. I mean, some of them just seem like they just flew right off um, because they were delivered so so easily. You know, you know, one of my favorite impressions of yours, by the way, is Harpo. You've always done a really uh, <laughs> <laughs> great Harpo. You just you you always really sounded just so much like. Well, you know, the, it was his son, like his son, um, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever his son is. I can't remember his son's name, but like Pete, they've asked him, what does he sound like? And and like he always says, yeah, he sounds like he says burgers <laughs> and uh, laundry and uh, he's got a New Yorky accent, you know. So it was, but, it was better off that he didn't speak, in other words. 
Exactly. Yeah. And of course, there's a book that, that he wrote called Harpo Speaks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there you go. Those are our genre picks. Nice, nice, nice picks. I, I, all of them, you know, pretty good. I, uh, you, you surprised me a little bit. Uh, once again, you can check these out on the TCM app, which we highly recommend downloading. Uh, you'll be as obsessed as we are. And when you go to the on-demand, you can see how they break it down by genre, and it's it's just a lot of fun. It really is. Once again, Lawrence, you have surprised me, embarrassed me, and corrected me, and I love you for it. Well, that's that's pretty much our relationship in a nutshell right there. <laughs> uh, we've summed it up. Well, thank you so much uh, for checking out the Bergman Brothers broadcast, which is actually a podcast, and we will be talking to you again soon. Coming at you. Good night. Good night.